All right, let's uh, turn in your Bible, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. Mary and I are delighted to be able to spend our wedding anniversary with you folk here at uh, Madison Baptist Temple. Uh, somebody up in Murfreesboro asked me, uh, what are you going to do for your anniversary? I said, man, we're going to Alabama. <laughs> you can't beat that with a stick. <laughs> and we are delighted to be here. When we got married, I took her to the Opryland Hotel for our first night. And uh, we were able to win the maid to the Lord the next morning as we went out for breakfast. And then I told her, now, I'm going to take you down to my new house in Murfreesboro and we'll spend our second night, and then we'll go on the rest of our honeymoon. And uh, when I got down there, I said, now, when we get to Murfreesboro, I'm going to take you to my favorite restaurant. We have 268 restaurants in Murfreesboro. And I said, I've got my favorite one. I'm going to take you to McDonald's. <laughs> and just before we left, I, I told her, now, I, I need to slip in the men's room and freshen up, and we'll get on the road. Well, I walked in there and I was going, da, 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 do, da, 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 and Jack was in there cleaning the place. And he said, man, you sound awful happy for Monday morning. I said, I am happy, Jack. I got married Saturday. He said, really? That's great. I said, you know, we're going down to Florida for about a week. He said, really? That's tremendous, too. I said, then we're going over to Grand Cayman for three weeks. Wow. He said, how about that? I said, then we're going to go to heaven. He said, huh? I said, you going with me, Jack? He said, oh, I don't suppose we'll get to go. So I led Jack to Christ, and we were off on our honeymoon. And it just stayed that way for the whole time. So I'm thrilled that uh, we could come down here and celebrate with you tonight. And uh, you will pardon me for sitting. I've had some bursitis. Those, those itis boys, all three of them, bursitis and arthritis and tendonitis and all those guys, they keep bothering us. And I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, look, I got this problem and I, I need for you to help me now. I, I've got to be preaching. I've got this tight schedule. And I, I said, you, you can do something about that if you want to. And he looked down at me and just plain as day, the Lord said, what do you expect at 92? <laughs> so so yeah, here I am ready to preach in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I want to get you to turn there and, you, and, and keep your Bible open to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to work your way down through it in a, 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 a scriptural message that I think will be meaningful uh, if you'll stay with me. Now, Paul is writing this from a prison cell in Rome, in the Mamertine prison. Uh, he had been... Uh, turned in or indicted by the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and they had him arrested. And uh, then he had to go before Felix. And after Felix couldn't handle the situation, then they turned him over to Festus. And, and these fellows, Felix and Festus, and then finally they got Agrippa involved in it, the governor. And these were all the uh, officers of, from Rome under Caesar, and uh, they were trying to figure out what to do with this man who hadn't done anything wrong, but the Jews were insisting that they kill him. And finally, he appealed to Caesar and ended up over in Rome, and he was being held in the prison, and he wrote this epistle back to the uh, people that he had uh, known and loved in Philippi. Now, uh, the, uh, Rome had conquered the world, but this all started back years ago in Egypt, 
in the book of Genesis, we have Adam and Seth and Canaan, Mahiel, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And uh, these are all the people that are carrying God's program as Israelites. Then from this point on, Egypt becomes a world power. And you know the story of Joseph in Egypt. The world power is now uh, because of God needing to punish his people for disobeying the laws. Now, God gave them Ten Commandments, and then the Jews themselves came up with 613 more laws. And because of all of these disobedient Israelites, the Lord sent them into captivity under the Egyptian Pharaoh who said, I am the God, and uh, here we have these people in bondage. Now, from following that Egyptian bondage, uh, we come a little bit later to when the Assyrians conquered the world, and uh, we have a man by the name of Tiglath-Pileser, who is now the world conqueror, and the Jews are in submission again as servants and slaves, and the Lord called Jonah to go over to Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and to try to get the people saved. And he didn't want to go. He hated those people. Didn't want anything to do with them. He was hoping that all of them would die and go to hell. And God said, now, that's not the way I look at it. I love everybody. Go over there and preach. And you know, 600,000 got saved. The whole nation turned to the Lord. But following the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonians came into uh, conquering the world under Nebuchadnezzar. And after Nebuchadnezzar had uh, uh, gotten into the place of becoming the god of this world, really a picture of the Antichrist, he passed it along to his son who didn't want to do it. And finally his grandson Belshazzar became the leader. And uh, the Jews were once again sent into captivity. 10,000 young people, including Daniel and Meshach and, uh, Meshach and, and Abednego and uh, uh, all the uh, children of Israel, all of them were sharp young people and they were trained and taught in the Babylonian philosophies throughout God, throughout the Bible, learned to be a Babylonian and all that. And for 70 years, now after 421 some years over in Egypt, now they're going to spend 70 more years because they violated 70 years worth of Sabbaths. And so in, in these cases, we have world powers and the Jewish people under their control as servants and slaves. And then about this time, the Medo-Persians invaded Babylon. And uh, <clears throat> that night, the Bible says the king of uh, that country was slain. Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall. And that night, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the world. And they now are in charge. And all the Jews are under their control. Darius and Cyrus were the two kings that headed up that combined nation. But once again, those Jews were servants and slaves. Now, Cyrus allowed them to go back. He sent Ezra back down there to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then he got Nehemiah and allowed him and paid his way and sent him the money he needed to be able to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And we have a little change as the Jews began to get back into their place of prominence. But then the Greeks took over the world. And we have uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Alexander the Great, who became a world leader at that time. And he had a son named Philip. And during the days of the Greek empire and the control of the Greeks over the world, Philip 
uh, took charge under his dad, Alexander the Great Conqueror, and this church in Philippi. Philippi was named after Philip, and the church at Philippi was the church that Paul established there. Now, you remember in the book of Acts, it says that he felt like he would like to, after going to various places, starting new churches, he was going to go up to Bethania, which is in the, uh, uh, it was in the eastern part of the continent. But the Bible says the spirit suffered him not. And he saw a vision at night saying from the Macedonian man, come over into Macedonia and help us. When they got over into Macedonia, uh, they weren't treated real well. A lot of persecution and a lot of anger and a lot of hatred and a lot of real, real problems. But they established a good church there in Philippi. And after getting it under control, then uh, Paul was taken off to a different place. And uh, now in the church at Philippi, you remember that there was a group of people gathered down on the river to have a prayer meeting. And there was a woman named Lydia, the seller of purple, and when Paul gave the gospel, Lydia got saved, her household got saved. She took them home and offered a motel room for them in her palatial home down there because she's very wealthy. And also you remember that Paul in that time was able to cast out a demon after a woman who was running around making fun of him and mocking and making a lot of money for her people, uh, for the people who were using her. And Paul cast the devil out. And caused her to not have those powers any longer. And the people got so upset at Paul for ruining their business that they began to complain to the Roman authorities who had now come into control. And now at this point, the Roman Empire is in control of the entire world under Caesar. And because of that control, uh, Paul was put in jail. And this is where we come up with the Philippian jailer being saved in Acts 16. And what a great story it is. John Rice wrote a track on uh, what must I do to be saved? That was the question that the jailer asked when the earthquake came and uh, the jail doors were opened and uh, the men were all able to go free, but nobody left. And the jailer, knowing that he would be killed for allowing them to escape, sprang in and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, all this is in this church. And these people, like Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and all those folks are members of that church. In that city, it was a city where they had gold mines and silver mines. and All that is background material for what Paul is getting ready to say to these people back there. Now, he says in chapter 1, that I'm going to write to the bishops and the deacons and to all the people. And he addressed it to the leaders that he had left behind. And then he said, in that first verse, he said, grace be unto you and peace. Now, and Paul wrote 14 books. I think he wrote Hebrews. I can't prove it. I'm not a scholar. But out of 14 books, 13 of his books began with grace be unto you and peace. Now, grace is what gets you saved. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, by his grace, hath he saved us. And so uh, in this case, uh, we have the, uh, uh, the matter of uh, uh, Paul talking about the wonders of the grace that brought them to Christ. And then he said, and following that will be peace. Now, peace is the result of grace. I get saved by grace. It results in peace. And so each time Paul wrote in his salutations of any of his books, he said, grace unto you all and peace to everybody. 
And then he wrote and he says, now I want you to remember who you are. And he quoted in the book of Romans and said, I want you to remember that you are heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And this book is called the joy book. Then this chapter is called the joy chapter of the Bible. He says, I want to give you an epistle that will help you to understand how to cope, how to adjust, how to get along with, how to put up with, how to handle situations and circumstances and people and things and stuff that you're going to run into. And that's what the book of Philippians is all about. Now, in the uh, chapter that we're turning to, he starts out by saying, therefore, brethren. Now, brethren means they're saved. These are all the Christians under the bishops and the deacons. Brethren and beloved. There's a difference between beloved and brethren. Everybody who saves here tonight is among the brethren. We are children of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay. Now, the word beloved here means relationship. First, the relationship with the Lord, brethren. The relationship with each other, beloved. That is, we have a brotherly love. And Jesus said, by this shilly, you know, that uh, by all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. If I could get this straight, this will take care of itself. The Ten Commandments are given to us, and four of them have to do with our relationship to God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images to God. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't take God's day. Everything's God over there. God's not even mentioned on the other side. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill people. Don't lie to people. Don't steal to people. Don't commit adultery to people. Don't covet what belongs to other people. Okay, if I could get this settled, like John, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. If I can get the brethren thing straight, then the beloved thing will take care of. And he addresses that. And this is just filled with doctrinal truth from the first two or three words in the chapter. Now he says, brethren, beloved, and long for my joy and my crown. You're my converts. You're the joy of my soul. And you're my crown. I'm going to get a crown because I want you to Christ, he said. So stand fast in the Lord. He says, you're special to me. And I want to tell you that you need to be standing fast for the Lord. So we have uh, in the first four verses, we have... Uh, the word of Paul counseling with people by way of introduction, beloved, I want you to learn how to be consistent and regular, faithful to church, faithful to prayer, faithful in your giving, faithful in your witnessing, faithful in your testimony. And I want you to be beloved in considering others, verse two and three. I, beso I, I beseech Eodius and beseech Sensity that they be of the same mind. Here we have two women fighting and fussing in the church. Isn't that unusual? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> You're going to have folks who are going to get right in the middle of it. And right, I mean, we're church people. But, uh, you know, somebody's not going to like the way that was that. And somebody's going to like the way that does that. And, and so here we have Paul saying, now, I want you to be consistent. I want you to be considerate of each other. And then I want you to learn to be content. Look in verse 4, the key to the whole chapter. And uh, verse 4, he says, um, uh, I want to... Uh, Re ask you to rejoice again always. Now, the word always means rejoice if it's good and rejoice if it's bad. Rejoice if you're healthy and rejoice if you're not healthy. Rejoice if you got enough money and rejoice if you don't have enough money. Rejoice, rejoice always, okay? And so in these introductory statements, he says, I want to emphasize the importance of consistency and considering 
all of the other people in their needs and not being inward and selfish, me and I and mine and us and ours, and ignoring, that's humanism. And basic humanism is self-centered, all has to real rotate around me. And Paul says, folks, down there in Philippi, I want to tell you to get over this self thing and be considered of other people so you can be content and have the joy of the Lord. Now, in the word, uh, in the Bible, it says, I want you to have joy, but I want you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's different than joy. If I said, how many of us have joy, we'd all put our hands up. But I say, now be real honest. I want to ask you another question. How many of you have joy unspeakable? You have such a joy that you can't find any terms or any philosophy or any kind of, of adjectives or verbs to express how you feel. It's, we're bubbling with it, okay? And that's, he says, that's, that's what I want you to have. Now, in verse 6, I'm going to give you a list of about six or seven things that Paul is advising these people at the church at Philippi which would be real, real good advice for the people down in Madison, Alabama. Okay, the first thing he says in verse 6 is, we have the privilege of being able to get our prayers answered. Now remember, if you're not saved, the Bible says, God heareth not sinners. Uh, he doesn't answer thee. He answers the prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. And so now he's saying here in verse 6, be careful or be anxious, or don't be upset, or he said, I want you to not be worried and not be um, uh, chewing your fingernails and pulling your hair, and, and uh, I don't want you to, to have all of these problems that people, that we have as Christians. We're supposed to mature to the place where we get over these kind of things and we are not guilty of being anxious or upset or bothered or nervous or, or, or always shaking and, and we're supposed to be content and happy. And by the way, if you can learn what he's saying here, you'll live longer. You'll live 10 or 15 or 20 years longer. And if you, if you have any kind of malice or hatred or if you have nervous conditions, you chew your fingernail, pull your hair out, get all upset, you're going to die before your time. And that's why... He's telling us something very important. Be anxious, be careful for nothing. Don't let anything upset you. And then he says, and pray about everything. What's that mean? That means pray whether you get married, whether you ought to marry that person or not marry that person. Uh, you need to be sure you pray about whether you change jobs. Be sure you pray about changing churches. Be sure you pray about whether you sing in a choir or whether you take a bus route or whether you volunteer for a certain area of ministry. Pray about it. Let it be a matter of prayer and let the Lord give you direction and leadership. When I was pastoring in Elkton, Maryland, I, I had I'd been there 17 years and we'd grown from 35 people up to 1,100 every Sunday, very successful ministry. It, it, was, it was like this church with a great spirit. We had a great outreach and missionary program. And the Lord said, okay, I want you to go down to Louisville and uh, take a church in Louisville, Kentucky. I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. And the Lord said, look, I, I want you to do this. This is the will of God. Now, I, I don't have time to go into it, but I wish I could tell you about 25 things the Lord did that just made me realize this is what God wants me to do. But I prayed and prayed and prayed, and the Lord gave me liberty. And I went down there. We had about 1,200 people coming. And in two years, we had 33, 3,400 coming every Sunday, and we were having over 100 saved every Sunday and 50 baptized every Sunday for over two years. Now, the Lord knew that. I didn't. 
But we have to learn, and he says, I want you to be prayerful about everything, every decision you make. What does God have me? Like Paul said, uh, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do on the road to Damascus? Lord, what's next? Okay, and then he says, be thankful for anything. <laughs> thank God for the good and thank God for the bad. That's, that's hard, isn't it? Lord, thank, thank you for this. this uh, thank you for the oatmeal. Lord, we've had oatmeal for the last 10 mornings, but thank you, thank you for the oatmeal. <laughs> could we have some, some raisin buns or so? Could we? Okay. All right. Thank God for everything. So we have the privilege of praying about everything that happens in our life. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Now, down in verse 7, we have also a peace that will, the peace of God that will keep us. Look what it says in verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Peace that passeth all understanding. What kind of peace is that? I don't know. I can't understand it. Now, I've got a, a pretty good education. I've got a lot of experience. I've got 72 years of pastoral and preaching experience. Uh, but, but I can't understand this. He says this is, this is peace that is so far above our thinking and our feeling. We can't describe it. We, can't, uh, we don't have ver verbs and adjectives just like the other thing we've talked about. And he says, I want you to know that you can have peace that passes all understanding. That is peace that gives you spiritual stability. And Isaiah in 26.3 of his, his book said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. How about that kind of peace? If I said, how many know perfect peace? I'd be slow to raise my hand, wouldn't you? I've, I've got a lot of peace, but I don't know if it's perfect peace. By the way, the Lord says, I want you to be holy, for I'm holy. And if I, if I said, how many are holy? I'd, I'd be slow to raise my hand. I want to be holy. I'm trying to be holy. But if you ask me, are you holy like God? God is holy. And he says, I want you to be like me. I want you to be perfectly holy and perfect peace. Well, we're not there. We're on our way. We're trying. And so he's talking about maturing and growing from where we are to where we can be, where we ought to be, and where we need to be. And he says, it's peace that passes all understanding. And then he mentions in that passage that we will have peace in our heart. Uh, he says, uh, I want you to have peace that passes all understanding. And then he says, I want you also, let me uh, get this to cooperate with me a little bit here. Okay. And he says, uh, I, I want you not to only have peace that passes understanding, but I want you to have a peace in your heart. And then I want you to have a peace in your mind or in your head. Now, there's a difference between peace in the heart and peace in the head. The Bible talks about having peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, if you have that, then you can have the peace of God. And if you have the peace of God, then you can have peace with other people. Now, if you don't have peace with God and peace of God, then you'll not be able to get along with people in the home, husbands and wives, parents and children, work people, people in the community, neighbors, so forth. And it comes in the matter of with God and of God so that I can have peace with God, with people around me. And uh, Paul is doing a good job teaching these brand new Christians in Philippi that they can get their prayers answered. Two, they can get the peace of God in their heart. And then three, 
they can have a positive philosophy to develop in their life. In verse 8, finally, brethren, he said, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or if there be any praise, think, meditate, saturate and soak yourself with these things. Okay? Now, if we have a positive philosophy, uh, you see, I'll tell you what, if, if, we, if, we, if we have somebody who do us wrong, let's say uh, somebody lied to us, if I concentrate on it, I can ruin my day by thinking about somebody who told me a lie. And I concentrate on it and get angry and bitter, and I, I can feel all kind of dampness coming on. But I've got to realize that about 100 people, maybe here are the two or 300 people that didn't lie to me. And I need to concentrate on all those that did. And just because somebody cheated, it doesn't mean that all the other people are not honest. Maybe one cheater in here, but there's hundreds of honest people. So he said, think on that. Be positive. Somebody is unjust, he said, but think about all the people that are just. Somebody is unclean, think about the people who are pure. So somebody fouls up in the church. Does that have to grab all of our attentions and cause us to have all kinds of dampness in the church service when one person goes wrong? No, he said, think about all these wonderful people who have been pure and godly all these days. How about somebody who is ugly about something, somebody nasty and hard to get along with, and, and they, they, they make problems when they speak to other people? Well, yeah, but think about all the people who are lovely, <laughs> who are being kind and sweet and, and complimenting us. And how about uh, some people are bad, but look at all the good people. And, and there are a lot of people who are immoral, but think about all the people who are virtuous. And there are a lot of people who are grumbling and growling, but think about all the people who are praising. And think about people. Uh, I can give you an illustration. Uh, if I asked and said, uh, uh, what do you see here if I held this up? What do you see? Well, you see a blank sheet of paper. But how about if I take my hand off? What do you see now? Oh, you see a little black dot. But what about all that black, white? <laughs> You're ignoring all that white when you look at that black dot. That's an old corny illustration. But this is what Paul's talking about in verse 8. Now, what I do when I'm preaching, and I've got a lot of experience at preaching, I pick out somebody who is responding to me with a smile and seems to be taking it in and enjoying it. And I don't look at somebody who's frowning and growling and they're looking at me like, <laughs> I don't appreciate what you're saying. If I look at them, it ruins my sermon. It ruins my spirit. <laughs> and so if you see me looking at you, it's because you're smiling at me and you're making it easy for me to preach. And your preacher will tell you the same thing. So he says, look, you people at Philippi and you people at Madison, if you will realize that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, so you have the privilege of praying in verse 6, and you have the place, uh, uh, the peace of God to keep you steady for the Lord in verse 7, and you have a positive philosophy in verse 8. Now in verse 9, you have the presence of God in your heart to accompany you. He says, these things which ye have both learned, notice that, they've learned something, and you have received, you received something, and you've heard, you've heard something, and you've seen it in me, now, those four things, he said, do. Do those four things. So he's giving advice here, and he's saying to these people, uh, I want you to realize that uh, you have learned a lot of things, and uh, you are uh, looking at people, and you're looking at circumstance and situations that have happened, and those experiences have taught us 
the things that we have learned has helped us to be who we are. Now, uh, I, I've, I've kept track of uh, all the miracles that the Lord worked for me, and I wrote a whole page of them. And uh, if you read them, you would join me in saying it could not have happened if it hadn't have been a miracle. It's just like Nicodemus said to Jesus, nobody could do the miracles that you do except God be with him. And I've got a bunch of miracles that the Lord did for me. And boy, it encourages me uh, when I look back at those. And then I, I have a whole page of troubles. I have a, we have a, an accident that killed two of our little kindergarten boys and put two more of them in the, uh, with brain damage in the intensive care and affected the rest of their life. And, uh, you know, we've had, uh, I've had other cases where one of our teenagers went down the slide at the, uh, uh, at the wilds and broke his neck and became a paralegic and had to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. And uh, we've had all kinds of things. Like I had the collapse of a finance house that left me $4 million in debt with no way to get it paid off. And, and boy, I got all kinds of troubles that have built into me. The things I have uh, learned. And then he says, I will talk to you about the things you have received. When I get to thinking about all the things that the Lord has, has done for me in a way of receiving. You know, I worked for Dr. Lee Robertson when I was in college for two years. And I, vis I did visitation. I'd take all the visitors that came and go out and visit them. And then I would visit all the people that came in various ways. And they'd give me a long list. And I'd spend... Four hours every day while I was in Bible college. And uh, one morning we were going to have a, a, big, a big final examination. And I stayed up to about four o'clock in the morning studying for my test. And, and as a result, when I got in my car and started over to the school, I went to sleep and ran off the road and had a wreck and tore my car up. Well, I had a damaged car. The fender was damaged. The, the door was damaged. The back door and the back fender was damaged. And, and here I am in my car, and I'm out visiting, representing Dr. Lee Robertson. Well, I had a dental appointment with Libby Cope, who was one of our deacons, and uh, he would take care of all of us students. He would work on our teeth for us free while we were in college. And I went down there to get some uh, dental work done. And he said, Tom... Uh, don't you work for Dr. Robertson as a church? I said, I do, I do, Dr. Cope. He said, uh, don't you realize how embarrassing it would be and how, uh, yeah, what a bad testimony it is if you drive that old junky looking car tore up like that? I said, well, Dr. Cope, I know you're right, but it's not a thing I could do. I took it to get an estimate, and they're talking about four or $5,000 to get it fixed. And I said, we had a guy in the student body who told me I was a fender and body man before I came to Bible college. And he said, you know, I believe, Tom, that I could go to the junkyard and buy you a fender and buy you a door. And he said, I think I could put that all back together for $125. I said, yeah, great, that's wonderful, only I don't have $125. So when I told Dr. Cope that, he said, Tom, see that little jar over there? There was a little, a little glass jar sitting on the table. He said, anybody comes into my office and they don't have an appointment and I help them uh, fix a tooth or uh, do something for them and I charge them normal rate. I put the money in there because they're not on the reservation book and I don't turn that in as income. I put it in that jar and then I help people like you guys at school. He said, uh, check, in that, uh, check in that little jar over there and you can have what money's in there to help you fix the car. 
I got that money out and counted it. Would you, would you believe the $125? <laughs> and when I read this, <laughs> he said, listen, uh, learn from these things that you have received. And I thought about receiving $125 when I had been begging God for $125. Then he said, also, the things you've heard. Now, I've heard Lee Robertson, and I've heard Bob Jones Sr. and Jr., and I've heard uh, Jack Hiles, and I've heard Lester Roloff, and I've heard, and you name them, and I, I've, I've even heard Mike Allison. And I've, I've, I've heard Curtis Hudson and I've heard John Rice. And, and I've heard all these fellows that, man, I should have picked up something, and I have. I've, I've learned. From, and one preacher said, every man is my teacher. Boy, I need to learn. And Paul is saying, we believers, we can learn and we can receive and we can hear. And then the things which you have seen. And I wish I had an hour to tell you some things I've seen. But here he's referring to the experiences and the exposures that have made us who we are and given us goals to do what we want to do scripturally and biblically. And so he says, now, you people, you have the privilege of being able to pray and you have peace with God and you have a positive philosophy as a believer and you have a pattern of God to challenge you so that you can learn and receive and hear and see. And then he says you have the presence of God to accompany you. Now think about it, if you will. Yeah, we have the presence of God. My Bible says that know ye not that your body is the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now do you mean I have God in me and my body? Yes. And I have the Spirit of God in me? Yes. And Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand and knock at the door. If any will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup or live and dwell with you, you with me. You mean I have Jesus and I have the Holy Spirit and I have God the Father all in me? Yes. My Bible says my body is the temple, the house that the Lord lives in. And all that is available. Now, the Bible says that I can do all these things through Christ. I can't do it through my education and through my know-how and through my experiences and, and through my personality. and No, 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 no. I do these things through Christ. That gives everybody an equal opportunity. And so we have the presence of the Lord. And Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And he also said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So then we have all of these things. Then we also have a plan for contented living to calm us down. Look in verse 11 and verse 12. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. <laughs> I'm glad he put it that way. He didn't say, boy, I've always known this. Man, I, I know. No, he said, I had to learn this. And you'll have to learn it and I'll have to learn it. I have learned in whatsoever state I am. What did that say? I'm having bursitis right now. And I, I'm having a hard time with it because I've never had to suffer. I'm a poor sufferer. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having the problem. I have to sit down and preach. And that bothers me because I like to move around and shake my hands and all this. But uh, uh, now <clears throat> I've got to learn to can be content. And I, it says uh, I had to learn whatsoever state I am there with. I told the Lord about it. I said, Lord, now look, I, I, I'd like to have you do something about this, Lord. And he said, look, Doug, what do you expect at 92? You expect to be perfectly healthy up to the 100 mark? And by the way, I'm going for 100. 
Because when I hit 90, I got off and had a prayer meeting and I said, Lord, I don't know if you're interested or not, but if you are, I'll give you 10 more years. <laughs> and he just seemed to say, I'm going to take you up on that, buddy. Now I've got two years under my belt. And do you know that one month after I told him I didn't have any salary at that point, my Social Security is $17 a month and I had no salary and I retired then from the church and and so, uh, but I had sold the house years before and put the money into an uh, annuity up in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, so I, I told the Lord, I'll serve you 10 more years. They called me and they said, at 90, you're going to have to start taking that money out. We have a plan for you. We can let you take it out by the month for 30 years. I said, well, I don't think that would work very well. <laughs> they said, okay, what about a 20-year plan? I said, I don't, I don't think that'll work. They said, well, how about a 10-year plan? I said, well, I, I just made a deal for 10 years. They said, we'll send you a check. And so they're sending me a check now for the next 10 years, every month. That is sufficient for me to make a living on. I don't have to worry about whether Baptist folk take care of me or not. The, Lord, the Lord's going to do it. Okay, so, so he's saying here, I want you to learn how to be content. Now, the contentment shows up in three areas. And if we can all get it, I can be content when I'm hurting. Okay. When I'm having pain, uh, when the doctor says cancer, when the doctor says it's a pancreas caving in on you, or your gallbladder doesn't have any more gall in it, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> okay, so when we're hurting. And then when we're hungry, when uh, I'm running out of finances, when my retirement doesn't seem to be adequate. And then when I am hated, when people don't appreciate me and they don't love me anymore. Uh, you see, if people love you, uh, that'll take care of it. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Mrs. Rice, Mrs. John Rice came to Dr. Hiles and said, Dr. Hiles, I need counseling. He said, Mrs. Rice, you need counseling from me? She said, yes. He said, what can I help you with? She said, I asked Dr. John if he loved me, and he said, yes. She said, I asked him Why? And he said, because the Bible tells me to. <laughs> she, she, he said, that wasn't what you wanted to hear, was it? No, she said. Oh, he said, I know you wanted him to say, I love you because you're beautiful. He said, and you are, but you won't always be. You're going to get wrinkled up and you're going to get go, you know, stooped over and all. And he'll quit loving you. And then he said, you want him to love you because you're sweet-spirited. And you really are. you got a wonderful personality. But one of these days, you'll get crabby and fussy and hard to get along with. And he went on and on. And he says, and he'll quit loving you. But if he loves you because the Bible tells him to, it won't matter what happens to you. He'll have to keep loving you. She smiles and says, I never thought of that. The way she went, happy as could be. <laughs> okay. So regardless of whether you're hurting, or whether you're hungry, or whether you're hated, you can be content, according to Paul's teaching to those wonderful Christians at Philippi. And then he says in verse 13, we have the power of Christ to strengthen us. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now look at those four or five words. It says, the person involved, I, that's you and me. Now remember, Paul's experiences didn't have a whole lot to do with Paul. Just like Job's experiences had nothing, didn't have nothing to do with Job. He had no idea what was going on, and he was not involved in it. The devil and God were working on this. And in Daniel's case, and the Hebrew children and all the rest of it, they have nothing to do with those people. 
1 Corinthians 10, 6 says the things that happened to those people in the Old Testament happened unto them for our examples. And in verse 11 of that chapter, it says, for our examples. And so when we read these stories, it says, I, and when Paul mentions I, he's talking about Tom Wallace, and he's talking about whoever you are. I, I, the possibility, the person is I, the possibility, all things, whether it's sickness or sorrow or heartache or whether it's poverty, whether it's misunderstandings or whether it's all the things we go through. Remember Paul's statement, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then there's the potential. I do all things through Christ, not through personality or finances or education or whatever. And then the power strengthens me. My wife said, uh, honey, I'm tired. I'm weary. I've run out of energy. I said, well, listen, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So get hold of it, babe, and let him strengthen you. And by, when, when Paul had his problem, he besought the Lord thrice, and the Lord said, your perfection, uh, you are made perfect through weakness. I'll let you have weakness in order to develop sending you to school and bring you to the point where you can grow into a positive and a perfect Christian. And then finally, don't you like that word? Don't you wish we preachers knew what that word meant? <laughs> Finally, in verse 19, we have the promise of God to provide for us. Look what it says. But my God shall supply all of your need, not your wants, but all of your need according to his riches in glory. Now, he didn't say out of his riches in glory. For God has this great pile of benefits and blessings and if he took some out, he would have less than he had. And that could never happen to God. He's always total everything. And he's always full. And so he says, I'm going to give you these benefits and blessings physically, financially, mentally, morally, socially, economically, and eternally. I'm going to give you all these benefits. And uh, they will be for you and provided for you. Uh, according to my riches, uh, according to my level, I'm going to give it to you off the top line. I'm a billionaire and I'm going to give you out of the billions and it's not going to affect me. Okay, so he's got plenty and he's got whatever I need. Now, the promise of God to provide for us is not only in finances, but he provides for us in salvation. This is the promise that he has promised to us eternal life and this life is in his son. 1 John 2, 25. And then the promise of security. He said, as soon as I save you, I promise you I'm going to keep you saved. Uh, <clears throat> he says in uh, John 10, 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And I, they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. John 10, 27 through 30. In those verses, he's saying, this thing is in my hands. It doesn't matter what happens. You can lose your mind and you can do all kinds of crazy things. You can fall out and become a backslider, but that's not going to take away your salvation. It's going to take away your joy, may take away your health, take away your relationships, take away a lot of things, but not your salvation. So he promises salvation. He promises security of the believer. 
And then he promises to supply our need. In Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Not according to my paycheck. Not according to my ability mentally and so forth. And so now uh, this is the promise that uh, I have promised you even eternal life. I had a man in my church by the name of Jesse Poindexter. His wife named Shirley. They were country people. They came out of the mountains of East Kentucky, over around Hazard or Harlan, somewhere in that area. And they were in Louisville. And uh, I would call my secretary on our buzzer, and I'd say, Joan, would you call Jesse Poindexter and see if he can trim my hair right now? And uh, she would buzz, and she would call me back, and she'd say, Jesse says, come right over. He can take care of it right now. Well, I, I would get, and I knew that Jesse worked on the shift from like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon to about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, and I knew he scheduled, so I'd call late morning or mid-morning, and uh, she would buzz me back, and she said, Jesse said, come right over. I'd go over and park my car in the driveway and get out and go through the kitchen door, and when I got there, he would have a chair pulled out from the kitchen table, and he would take the tablecloth and put it around me, and he would trim my hair. And, uh, and he would, uh, he'd say, uh, Preacher, uh, Shirley has uh, lunch just about ready. Will you have lunch with me? And I said, no, 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 Jesse, I didn't come for lunch. came for a haircut. Liar, liar, liar. <laughs> he said, Shirley's got it ready, and she always makes more than enough for me and her. And, and we, we'd just be honored if you'd eat with us. I said, well, if you insist, you insist. And she did. So I would sit out there, and Jesse would say, Shirley, go in there and get a box and put some of those beans that you can and, and get the produce, the cucumbers and the lettuce and stuff I got out of the garden and make a great big box uh, for Brother Wallace. And so I would sit down and enjoy eating lunch with them. And then I would enjoy this great big box of produce that they gave me. And I, I would enjoy uh, all, you know, and it was just, just wonderful. And, and uh, uh, I, uh, I said, Jesse, how much going to pay you for this lunch? He said, now, you can't pay me anything for that lunch. You know that. Well, how much can I pay you for this box of produce here? Now, you, you can't pay us for that. And uh, what can I pay you for? No, you can't pay. He said, preacher, if, if it hadn't been for you, we wouldn't get to go to heaven. You want us to Christ, and you got us in church, and you've taught us how to get God's blessings on us. And if we lived to be a thousand years, we couldn't pray you back for all you've done. And by this time, uh, I pick up my box, and the tears were streaming down my cheeks, and I couldn't hardly find my car. And uh, I'd get in the car and drive back uh, over. And uh, uh, Jesse uh, was, was trying to pay me back for all that I had done for him. Now, uh, Jesse said, now, in addition to that, preacher, I want to give you this key right here. And I said, what's that key often? Oh, open. He said, that key opens my double-wide trailer that I have just set up down on Lake Cumberland. And inside is a freezer full of about five or 600 trout that I caught off the spillway at the dam down there. And, and then over on the other side, I have two big buck deer that I killed and, and all venison. And he said, now, any time you want to, you come down and use that key and it's yours. You can have it 
any time you want to come. Just let me know you're coming so that Shirley and I won't come in on you. If you want to come down there for a week or a month and all, just let me know you're there. And I'd walk out that door with his key and with my stomach full and with my hands full of all this stuff and thinking about the benefits and the blessings that uh, Jesse had provided for me. And I had the key. Now, in about five or six years, I went down there two nights. I, I had a schedule that just would not let me take advantage of that benefit. But I had that key. And every time I fell to that key, I just felt better all over than, than any other place. <laughs> because, now, now, that's what the Lord is talking about. He says, listen, I have given you the key to contentment and satisfaction and happiness in the scripture. And in this particular chapter, he says, uh, we have really got it made because we have the privilege of praying. We have the peace that keeps us uh, keeps, uh, keeps us at heart and the positive philosophy to live by. We have the presence of God and we have contentment to calm us, a beautiful plan for that. We have the power to strengthen us and we have the promise of God to provide for us all in that one chapter. And that's just one chapter out of uh, 1,189 more chapters that tell us the same thing. Now, God loves us. He wants us to have a relationship to it. He wants us to be able to have what he has for us. And he says, come unto me, all ye that are laboring, heavy laden, troubled, and burdened, I'll give you rest, and I will provide for you according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We have a wonderful God. He's trying to reveal himself, and in that chapter, he does a great job. Well, let's bow our heads together, and we'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful chapter. We pray tonight that you'll help us to understand that you love us, and you not only have provided salvation and eternal security for us, but you provide for us with health and with wisdom and discernment and direction and love and contentment and satisfaction and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance against which there's no law. Lord, help us to grasp, to get hold of, and to absorb and receive the things that you have provided for us. Meet our needs tonight in this hour.